I would ask everyone today to please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark as we'll be looking at chapter 9 and verses 14 to 29 this morning. Mark chapter 9 verses 14 to 29. Mark chapter 9 verses 14 to 29. Brothers and sisters, and please, if you would, hear with me the reading of God's Word. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that, a crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I commanded you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So most of them had said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, brothers and sisters, the the issue that we see in our text today, I think, is an issue that each and every one of us can identify with. And that is the struggle with unbelief. Struggle of unbelief. I know that for some it can be a a touchy subject as many Christians like to portray themselves as having perfect faith. They they struggle over nothing. They they want you to believe that they have no doubts about anything. In fact, there are many Christians out there who think that an uninterrupted fellowship with God of, of nothing but joy and happiness and victory is not only attainable for us in this life, but that it's mandatory for you in your Christian life now. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that this is not the case, nor will it be. Because this view fails to realize that perfected faith is reserved for glorification. And until glorification comes, we are being made ready. We are being fitted for heaven. And that means that God is constantly working on us. He is constantly refining us. And He will continue to do so until we take our dying breath. 
There will never be a time if you are a believer where God will say, Oh, he's perfected. Alright, let's, let's, let's leave him alone and let's go on to the next person. That will never happen if you are a believer. And in fact, if you, if you don't experience some sort of doubt at times, if you don't experience bouts of unbelief at some times, in fact, what I would say to you is that perhaps you need to examine yourself to see if you are even in the faith. Because those doubts, those bouts with unbelief, demonstrate that God is working in your life. Having those struggles displays God's presence with you. For the one who thinks their faith is perfected, that is the one who's God, who God's presence is absent from. That is the one who fails to realize that a battle is being waged over their soul. This is the one who is far too secure. They're deceived. And what that often does is causes you then to be lax in your Christian life. It makes you and opens you up to be a prime target for Satan if you are not already his. And yet although unbelief, brothers and sisters, is a part of the Christian struggle, we too must identify it for exactly what it is. And it is sin. Unbelief is sin. And so although, as I said, we're going to continue to experience unbelief for the entirety of our Christian existence, we must not become content with it. We must be striving to, to put it off, to beat it down, to overcome it. Now, there are two types of unbelief that we really must distinguish that we see in our text today and also in everyday life. The first type of unbelief is that unbelief of the unregenerate or the unbelief of the wicked. And this kind of takes different shapes and forms. Right? First, you have that the unbelief of, of those who who openly deny Christ, openly deny God, right? They say, don't believe. You know, that might be the, you know, the atheist. But then you have those who, who, are, who are unbelieving because they're ignorant. Right? They, they just don't care to know. These are the ones who maybe say, yes, you know, I believe there's a God out there, but uh, what, what does it matter? If, if Jesus is real, everything is true, then you know, I'll, I'll end up in heaven. And so they take no time. They make no effort to, to discover Christ and who He is and what His claims are and what His promises are. And so they just don't believe because they don't care enough to believe. And then you have those who are the hypocrites. right? The hypocrite is the one who, 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 who for a time professes Christ. right? Who maybe for a time follows Christ. But then after a while he departs from the faith. right? A hypocrite also might be one who professes Christ. Who sits in the pews of the church but who denies Him in his actions. Right? This last one, the hypocrite, I think, is, is what we can is the is the is the title we can put on the, the scribes in our text today. They have the, the hypocrites, the one who, who says they believe in God, who hold to his word, but they deny his son. They deny the testimony of the Son in their Old Testament scriptures. The second type of unbelief, I think, which is the primary one that's being addressed in our text today, is the unbelief of the saint. Right? This is the second kind of unbelief. It is faith commingled or intermixed with unbelief. And yet, the, un- the, the believer who has his unbelief is always striving to put down this unbelief. Right? It's a weakness of faith. It's detrimental to us. But it's this unbelief, I think, that we see in the example of not only the apostles, but the Father in our text as well. And really, their unbelief and their faith 
shown in this uh, passage of this text today, I think is really a picture of the unbelief and the faith that all people have who are believers, whether you're a man or woman or a child. Right? The apostles' unbelief caused them to be hindered from performing this miracle. Right? The father's unbelief caused him to actually utter the words, if, to the Son of God, not really believing, not truly believing that he could heal his son and overcome this unclean spirit. And it's this unbelief then that's, that's front and center for us in our story today and that we're going to focus our attention on and ask, how might we deaden this unbelief in our hearts? How might we deaden it? Seeing how dangerous it is, seeing what it can do to us, how might we deaden it? Seeing that it dishonors God, how might we rid ourselves of it and continue to until the day we are taken to be with the Lord? And then on the flip side, we also want to ask, how might we then also grow in faith? As we see, Jesus uses the healing of this boy to increase the faith of the Father in our story today. And so we're going to do this then under three points this morning. And the first point is this. Uh, We're going to look at the danger of unbelief. So point one is the danger of unbelief. Point two then is that unbelief deprives. Unbelief deprives. And then point three is the remedy for unbelief. The remedy for unbelief. So let's begin with point one. Now, we're told Jesus comes down right from the, the, the transfiguration when He takes Peter, James, and John up there. And He comes down, we're told immediately, He goes and He looks for the other nine disciples. And He finds them. But what does He find them doing? He finds them arguing, we're told, with the scribes. As this crowd gathers around them as they, as they watch on. Now, we're not told exactly what they're arguing about, but I think it's, it's safe to assume that they're arguing about the fact that the apostles are not able to perform this miracle on this child. They're not able to, to rid him of this unclean spirit. I think we can determine that because as Jesus says, what are you arguing about? The, the, the Father speaks up. And He says in verse 17, Teacher, I, I brought my Son to you, for He has a spirit that makes Him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams, he grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out, and they were unable. Right? So the, the scribes are probably arguing with the apostles at this time, saying, look, see, we told you, you guys are liars. Right? Your master is a liar. You don't have the power to do this. And so they're trying to shame and discredit the apostles. Right? But this was only allowed to happen because of the lack of faith that the apostles exhibited at this moment. This is why Jesus says it in verse 19, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. You see, this is not only a rebuke of the scribes because of their denial of Christ. I think in this moment it's also a rebuke of the apostles in this moment. Because they had the ability and the power to heal this boy from this demon. If you remember back in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus sends the apostles out two by two. And we're told specifically He gives them the power and authority over what? Unclean spirits. Exactly what this boy has. And so what hindered them? What hindered them from being able to heal this boy? Well, Mark has a parallel account of this same story in Mark chapter or Matthew chapter 17, excuse me. And in verse 7, in verse 20, when they asked Jesus, you know, why were we not able to heal the boy? Jesus responds to them, because of your little faith. 
Or Jesus says, that's the reason he cannot be healed. It wasn't because I have somehow removed that authority that you had over unclean spirits. It was because you have little faith. Your faith is weak. And so, brothers and sisters, in this initial confrontation, we see the first great danger of unbelief. And the first great danger of unbelief is that it makes us vulnerable to attacks from the world. Right? Unbelief makes us vulnerable to attacks from the world. In 2017, there was a study that was done that uh, as teenagers, Christian teenagers go off to college, 70% of them, by the time they graduate, have walked away from the faith. Right? And why do you think that is? Well, first of all, it's probably for a few different reasons, but first of all, they probably went off to college without a strong faith to begin with. Right? They probably went off having questions, struggling with things, having doubts, and probably having no one to help them through those things. Right? Why? Because parents are probably too busy. Parents are, have their own schedule. They have their own burdens to worry about. And instead of doing their parental duty that they ought to be doing, worrying about the, the welfare, the spiritual care of their children, right? shaping and forming it, right? they're too busy doing their own thing. And let's be honest, for most parents, they don't even want to address these topics, you know, difficult topics, questions their kids have, because they themselves don't even know the answers. And they don't know the answers because they don't take time to study the scriptures for themselves. And so what do they do, right? They, they pawn them off to the church. And yet, what's going on with churches nowadays? It's hard to find a church that actually preaches the word anymore, isn't it? Or preaches it for any length of time where you can get something out of it. And churches that do preach oftentimes what? Right? They don't preach expositionally. They don't go book by book, verse by verse, line by line. No, what are they doing? They're cherry picking topics, right? That they think are going to draw people in, that people want to hear. And so they're never dealing with the hard topics. They're never answering any of the hard and difficult questions that people are going to face. They're not equipping the saints to be able to go out into the world and to deal with unbelievers. And so what happens? As soon as these young children go off to college, what happens? Right away, they're smacked in the face and they're pressed by their peers and they're pressed by their professors. And what happens? They don't want to feel shame. They don't want to feel embarrassment. And so what do they do? They buckle. They fold. Because they they also see, well, it didn't appear that Christianity had the answers. And it looks like my peers and my professors have them. Now, the second great danger we see is that unbelief also causes us to destroy ourselves. And there's nothing that pleases Satan more. So it leaves us vulnerable from attacks to the world. And it causes us to also destroy ourselves. I think this is what we get with the description of the boy in this story. What are we told about this demon-possessed boy? The spirit, we're told, makes the boy mute. It throws him down. He foams. He grinds his teeth. The spirit is also called uh, a, a, a deaf spirit. In verse 25, when Jesus commands him to come out, he says, come out of him, you deaf and mute spirit. Right? And so it causes this boy to harm himself. What else does it do? What else does it do? It deprives this boy, because he's deaf, of hearing the word of God. Right? It deprives him from speaking to God, to speaking to Christ, because it's, he's silenced by this demon. And I think this is really a picture of unbelief. Right? Unbelief causes us to shut our ears up to the Word of God, to question God's Word, to question the veracity of it, to deny parts of it. Unbelief causes us to silence our mouths, 
to not speak up in defense of Christ out of fear or uncertainty or unwillingness. Right? Un- unbelief causes us to distrust God and to distrust His promises and to become skeptical of it. And actually, over time, unbelief, if you continue to allow it to build and build and build without beating it down, will deplete your spiritual senses. Right? It will, it will deplete them until they are no more, causing you to spiritually destroy yourself. This is what happened with those who John talks about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. Those who walked away from the faith. Right? He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So obviously there was a time that they professed faith in Christ. That they walked with the saints. But through unbelief, over time, they fell away. That's because they didn't heed the warning that we get from the author of Hebrews, right? Chapter 3, verse 12, when he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. See, this is the danger of unbelief. It causes you to fall away from your Savior. This is what was true of Judas. right? He followed Christ for some time. I think it's safe to assume that, that Judas believed at some point that he believed in Jesus. Right? He, he said yes to Christ. He said yes to the promises. But after time, allowing that unbelief to build up, right? What happens? He, he falls away and he, he sells his soul for 30 shekels of silver. You see, unbelief, brothers and sisters, is the reason why all unbelievers are condemned. Right? This is what uh, Jesus says in John 3.18. He says, uh, if you believe in the Son, you are not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Right? This is how dangerous we must see the sin of unbelief. Right? It, is, it destroys, it, it harms us, it kills us. It's so dangerous because it's sin. And sin is the root cause of all of our miseries and all of our heartaches in this world. But what I want you to also see is that in this moment of unbelief, where the disciples are being accosted by the scribes and being disgraced before the crowd, what happens? Jesus appears. Jesus appears. And so I want us to see this. They, they tried to shame the disciples when Jesus was not near. But what we get from this is and what we should see and what we should learn and take away from this is that we are, when we are in trouble, when we are in pain, when we are suffering, when we are dealing with bouts of unbelief, Christ will come to comfort us and to deliver us from those things. When it seems like there's no hope, when unbelief is going to overtake us, when our troubles are going to overcome us, Christ comes to deliver His people just as He promises. I want to give you one illustration of this. I was recently, this past week, reading this, this book on uh, Puritans. And they give this illustration in dealing with this topic that we're talking about. And they uh, use the life of this, of this godly man named uh, Robert Glover. Okay, Robert Glover lived in the 16th century during the time of uh, Mary Tudor, her reign. If you know anything about Mary Tudor, she's, right, it's called Bloody Mary. Um, and so Robert Glover at this time uh, becomes Protestant and he speaks out against the Catholic Church. And so he's arrested and he's to be put to death. And about two or three days before he dies, it's recounted that a friend of his comes and visits him. And when the friend comes and visits him, he tells his friend, I feel a dullness of faith. Uh, I don't want to die. 
I'm feeling unbelief, right, taking over. And his friend tells me, assures him, remain humble, remain meek, remain faithful to God. And I assure you, he is going to come back with all of his brightness. And so the, the day of his death comes. And as he's walking, and his death is to be burned at the stake, and as he's walking there, he sees his friend in the crowd, and he's clapping. And he says to his friend, He has come. He has come. And they said, He looked like a man not walking to his death, but a man who has just risen from the grave. Right? We see, brothers and sisters, right, what our Lord will do for those who are His. Even when we deal with those bouts of unbelief, even when we, when we deal with, with, with fits of despair where we're questioning God's Word, right? if you are God's people, know that He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He will come alongside you and He will comfort you. And He will show you all of His brightness so that you more fully believe and trust in Him. And so knowing this, right, knowing that Christ will never leave us, knowing that Christ will never forsake us, it should cause every single one of us to see how thankful we ought to be to God each and every day that He has not just given us up, that He has just not handed us over to Satan because that's what we deserve for our unbelief. And yet, what does He do every day instead? He showers upon us mercies upon mercies. This ought to cause us then in return to, to show steadfast faith in Him towards others. So that no matter what the world says, no matter what your professors say in school, no matter maybe what family members say, no matter what anyone says, you are willing to be shamed for Christ, embarrassed for Christ, disgraced for Christ. This then, brothers and sisters, takes us to the, our second point this morning, which is that unbelief deprives. Unbelief deprives. This is what we see in the inability of the apostles to heal this man. Their weakness of faith deprived them of the benefits and of the privileges of healing this boy, of using that power that God had given to them in order to bless others with. The apostles' problem in attempting to heal this boy that we see is they didn't look to faith in Christ. right? They didn't depend on Christ's power, but rather they thought the power was inherent in them. They were not reliant on God in that moment, but they looked to their own capabilities. And so this disqualified them from being able to perform this miracle. And yet, brothers and sisters, this sin of unbelief has stopped many privileges from happening to God's people. And yet these, these privileges that believers give up due to unbelief are really of, of two kind, of twofold. First, there are inward privileges and there are outward privileges that we forfeit because of our unbelief. Now, by inward privileges, I mean those privileges that strengthen our souls. The privileges that we are deprived of them include enjoyment of assurance of our eternal life. Uh, How about peace with God we are deprived of? We can be deprived of God's uh, favor and presence in our life. Those Those are inward privileges that we can be deprived of because of sin, and especially the sin of unbelief. This is what I think the psalmist speaks about in Psalm 77 when he says this, Will the Lord spurn me forever and never again be favorable? His steadfast love, has it, has it forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has He forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? 
due to the sin of unbelief, outward privileges are also lost. And we can look to Israel and Moses and and, uh, Aaron as examples of that, can't we? In Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, we're told, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Right? The author to the book of Hebrews says the exact same thing in verse three or chapter three, verse eighteen. He says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter the rest. Why? Because of unbelief. Right? Think about it, brothers and sisters. How many of the great privileges and benefits in Christ do we miss out on because of our own unbelief? Think about all of the benefits we miss out on because we don't take seriously God's means of grace. Right? Because we come to church not ready to hear God's Word. Because we take the Lord's Supper not prepared to receive it by faith. To be strengthened by it. How many of us make no time for fellowship with the saints? Right? This is a way that God uses to bless us. We ought to be walking up to one another, engaging one another, talking to one another, learning each other's burdens and struggles and afflictions and comforting one another by the Word. You know, some Christians just, they deal with their own problems by themselves and it goes on and on and on and on and on. When all you have to do, right, if you're suffering with a bout of unbelief, you're suffering for anything, tell a brother and sister. They might be able to help you. They might be able to point you to the Scripture that you need to be praying about. They might give you the encouragement that you need. This is so important, brothers and sisters. And you lose that when you neglect that fellowship. How many of us lose out spiritually in the the benefits we receive when we do not read God's Word and pray daily? Right. This is a means that God gives to us. Think about it. The means that God over all the earth gives to us each day to be able to speak to Him through prayer and to hear from Him through His Word. And yet think about how much we are missing out spiritually when we neglect that. Or think about how much we are uh, missing when we come into church and we we walk away and we never think about the message again. Think about how much of the spiritual benefit you are missing out by doing that, by coming here, listening, walking away, don't give it a second thought. How do you think it's going to be applied to your heart and live down your life if you never think about it again? And so how do you expect God to grow you in faith? How do you expect God's help to beat down and deaden that unbelief? How do you expect God to equip you and use you for His glory if you think time with Him and His Word is of little value to you? No wonder why the church in America is starving spiritually today in many ways. Right? It is weakness of faith. Weakness of faith. Right? Unbelief keeps God from blessing us individually as well as corporately as a church. But this also likewise should teach us that we shouldn't come here into church and expect that just because we, we pray, God grow us as a number. God give us love and peace and unity as saints that He's going to do it if we don't come with our entire soul trusting and believing that He will. He will deprive us, brothers and sisters, of these things. He will deprive you of these spiritual benefits. 
But He doesn't deprive you of these things because He wants you to suffer. Right? He deprives you of these things so that He might draw greater faith unto Him. This is what we see in the example of Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 where Paul says to the church in Corinth that he was burdened beyond uh, his capability, that he felt despair, like he was going to die. But what, is, what does he say? He said, God allowed that to be. God used that. So what? He would rely on God. right? That he would turn away from self and place his faith and trust in the Lord. And this is the same reason why he deprives us of things. right? Not because he, he gets joy out of it, because he wants to draw a greater strength of faith out of us to turn to Christ and to look to Him for those things that we need, not to look to ourselves. And I think this is what we see then in Jesus' encounter with the Father today. Right? We're told in verse 21 that, the, that He asked the Father, how long has this been happening to His Son? And He says from childhood. And has often cast Him into fire and into water to destroy Him. But He says, "What well, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Right? The Father says, if you can to the Son of God. Right? A couple thousand years later, now looking back at this, right, in retrospect with all that we know, you kind of cringe, right, when you, when you hear, if you can, to the Son of God. If you can. Right? But Jesus is not going to answer his prayer until he first draws out greater faith in this man. And yet, what this man says, I want us to see, though, is not all bad. Right? This man shows a hint of faith, doesn't he? He shows a seed of faith because he knew good enough to bring his boy and to go search out Jesus and to ask Jesus, knowing that at least in his mind there was a, a possibility for Jesus to heal his boy. But he wasn't sure about it, right? There was some doubt. There was some uncertainty. There was some untrust, some distrust in this man's mind of Jesus' capability and power. And so how does Jesus respond? Well, he really turns the question back on the man, doesn't he? In an attempt to draw out this faith. Right? He says, if I can... What does he mean by that? He means, of course, I can. Right? And he flips it back and he says, all things are possible though for the one who believes. Right? He, he puts the onus back on the Father. Jesus is saying the, the right question in all of this is, is not, a, am I able? The right question is, do you believe? Do you believe? That's the right question. That's the real issue. And remember, Jesus many times in this Gospel has refused to perform miracles because of unbelief, hasn't he? We can think back to Mark 6 when Jesus returns home to Nazareth, his, his very hometown. And we're told in verse 5 and 6 of that chapter that he did no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people because he marveled at their unbelief. And so he admonishes this father for thinking that there was some deficiency in him. Right? He admonishes this father for thinking that there might be weakness in Christ when the weakness is in this man. And yet, in this whole encounter, right, God is being so gracious with this man as we, we see the grace and the work He's doing in this man's heart. And how do we see that? It's because this father does, he doesn't get angry. He doesn't get defensive, but he welcomes this admonishment from Christ. Right? He welcomes it. And that's true for any believer, right? We, we welcome admonishment. We welcome rebuke. We don't get defensive or angry about it because we know that it's what's best for us. We know that it, it helps us, right? To conform us to Christ. It, it helps us to see our own sin and corruption 
that sometimes we're blind to. And yet for every believer, when that rebuke comes, right? if you're a believer, right, you want to and you work after deadening that sin in your life. David says in Psalm 141, verse 5, Let a righteous man strike me. It is kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. Let my head do not refuse it. I hope, brothers and sisters, that this is the way that all of you here see the rebukes or corrections that come from this pulpit, right? That you too would see them as kindness to you. As kindness. And that you would receive them in all sincerity. And use them. Right? Don't refuse them. Use them to grow in faith, to, to turn away from sin. Right? To correct error. But this is another way that God shows kindness to His sinners, doesn't He? He's constantly rebuking us, right? He's constantly reminding us of our duty before God. He doesn't just cast us aside, but rather He chastises us. But it's all with a goal. It's all with a purpose. right? God deprives us in order to conform us to the image of His Son. He deprives us for His own glory and good. This then leads us to our third and final point this morning, which is the remedy then for unbelief. I think we see this remedy for unbelief in the man's response to Christ right away in verse 24. Look with me there, please. We're told in verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, brothers and sisters, true faith causes us to respond in prayer. Right? Crying out for, and pleading for God's grace and mercy in our life that He might deaden our unbelief and that He might strengthen our faith. And so I want us to see that prayer is a remedy for unbelief. And so if you want to deaden the unbelief inside your heart, then be a prayerful people. Be people who are devoted to prayer often. Now what we see is this man, upon having been shown his sin, was not afraid to look a fool, was he? Right? He cries out before the entire crowd, surely with great sorrow upon his lips, forever doubting Jesus, doesn't he? He was grieved over his sin. He was grieved over his unbelief. But what do we also see in this man's cry when he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief? It's also repentance. right? He recognizes that his faith is not perfect. His faith is not how it ought to be. And so he cries out in, in repentance to the Lord. What we see here from this man, though, is that true faith always strives against unbelief. Right? True faith always strives against unbelief, but it does not do so in its own power. It does so in the power of the Lord. Right? This is why this man cries out, Lord, help me. He knew his boy would never be healed. He now came to realize his unbelief would never be deadened. His faith would never grow if it wasn't for the mighty hand of God. He needed God's grace in all of this. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are sitting here today and you are saying, I'm not seeing great strides in my Christian life. I'm not seeing great strides in my faith. I say, you ought to examine yourselves. You ought to look at yourselves in the mirror and say, where or what areas of my life am I weak in in my faith? Where am I uh, uh, using my own capabilities and not resting and trusting in Christ. Right? Whether that is with your finances, uh, whether that's with your marriage, whether that's in raising your kids, whether that's in your health and well-being, or, or if that's how you deal with sin. Right? Whatever, whatever it is that you say, God, I don't need your help and I'll do it and take care of it myself. What you need to do is you need to repent. Right? You need to repent and cry out just like this man. 
Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the Lord most certainly will do so because He is a God who answers prayers. And we see this in our text today. Right? The Father cries out. He repents. He professes faith. He relies on Christ. And we're told what Jesus does what? He, he heals the boy. In verse 26, the boy is like a corpse. Many said he was dead. He, he takes the boy by the hand, lifts him up, and he arose. You see, Jesus was not going to bless this man. He was not going to raise his son up until he drew that faith out of him. He wanted this man to call on him, which is what? It's faith in action. Right? Jesus wants our faith to be active faith. He wants us to use our faith. You can't expect your faith to ever grow, brothers and sisters, if you don't use it. And so you use your faith in prayer. Right? You demonstrate that you believe in God, that you rely on God, that you're dependent on God when you pray to Him. And when He answers your prayer, that strengthens your faith, right? Because you see Him working in your life. You see Him answering your prayers. You see that His Word is trustworthy and true. And so you can go back to it again and again and again. Right? James tells us, you have not because you ask not. James tells us, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. And so if your faith and your growth in faith is a priority to you, brothers and sisters, then you would do well by constantly and earnestly crying out to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help my unbelief each day. Because at the end of the day, we must realize that we cannot grow our faith one bit apart from the grace of God. Because faith is a gift. And so every increment of faith after that is likewise a gift. But also faith makes us able to receive a greater measure of the gift. All blessings, whether that's growth in faith or assurance or peace with God, requires faith. Without faith, expect to receive none of that. And yet, brothers and sisters, we can take comfort in the fact in knowing right, that any goodness that moves God is not because of the goodness found in us, right? The goodness that moves God is the goodness found in Him. right? It's God's goodness. It's God's faithfulness. Finally, then, verse 28 and 29, we're told this, And He entered the house. His disciples asked Him privately why they could not cast out this demon. And He said to them, This kind you can, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, if you read Matthew's parallel account, it says something different. I said this earlier to you. He says, right, because you have little faith. So is there, is there a discrepancy there? Is there? Or can those be harmonized? Well, I think they're saying the exact same thing, right? Their lack of faith was seen in the fact that they did not exercise that faith by prayer. Right? And so they both are true. Right? They, they did not pray. They showed little prayer and they showed little faith. And so Jesus also is teaching us a lesson here today as well. And that is this, that we can do nothing apart from Christ. Right? Without Christ, you cannot have your prayers answered. Without Christ, you cannot grow in faith. Without Christ, you cannot deaden sin in your life. You cannot deaden unbelief. But what I also want us then to walk away with is knowing this, that we are never to doubt that our gracious and heavenly Father hears all of our prayers, no matter how weak our faith is. Right? He, he listens to all our prayers, no matter how weak our faith is. And so, I encourage all of you to pray, because they are not accepted because of you. They are accepted because of Christ. And so, don't let doubt, don't let unbelief scare you away from God. Right? That's, Satan would love nothing more than that. That when you have bouts of doubt and unbelief, that you run away to God, you hide, you don't think you can 
you can reach out to Him. But no, rather, when you have those doubts, when you have unbelief, it teaches you to go towards God. Right? To cry out to God, to plead with God, as prayer and faith in Christ is a remedy for our unbelief. Right? Because it teaches us to do what? To look away from ourselves and to look to God. Right? To not trust in our own capabilities, but to trust in our God alone. Brothers and sisters, please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the encouragement and the admonishments that we receive from it. We pray, Father, that we would receive these, uh, that we would not uh, be too proud to listen to the rebukes of our Lord, and that, Father, the Spirit would help to uh, apply the truths of this Word to our lives. Father, we all recognize that our belief in You is not perfect. Our trust in Your promises is not perfect. Oftentimes we doubt. Oftentimes we question. And so, Father, we come before You this morning saying, we believe, but Lord, help our unbelief. And we know, Father, that You will do so for the sake of Christ our Savior. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.